powerful video um, you can be turning in the church Bible this morning to page 701 page 701 we'll begin in Psalm 113 this morning real quick uh, some prayer requests <clears throat> Pam's sister Lisa is uh, beginning to have chemo radiation for treatment of cancer so we'll keep Lisa in our prayers uh, Amanda Haynes is looking for a part-time job anybody hears of anything she she wants to have a part-time job to kind of help um, with things around the house so we'll, we'll continue to pray for that uh, Raul's grandson Nelson uh, I heard this I thought about this this is how boys are put a rock in his ear that they can't get out now and he's going to be going to the hospital to get that out tomorrow or today tomorrow okay pray all that goes well and it doesn't turn out to be a really big deal we'll pray that the lord will help that fall out today maybe it'll fall out so um also alani that's the other little haynes girl i think two and a half or so uh she's been sick so they took her in and she's got rsv don't think she's admitted to the hospital but they're treating her for rsv right now so let's keep keep her in your prayers uh and a, a praise we have is Ava, our little Ava McKenzie, sweet doll, is doing really well. She's eating well. She's at home. Mom's at home. Mom's doing well. And the Lord continues just to heal both of them, and uh, she was, she's doing fine. So she has no complications. She went for a checkup this week. She continues to gain weight, and so uh, that does run in the family, unfortunately. But anyway, <laughs> she's doing really good. But anyway, she's fine. Thank the Lord. Uh, real quick announcement. We will have a Hanukkah celebration this next Friday, this coming Friday. We'll have our normal meal at 6, where we bring our own food. And then at 6.45, we'll begin the, the Hanukkah celebration. So uh, join us for that. It'll be an awesome time of going through the past uh, years of memories and thinking of what and being reminded of what the Lord has done around us in our lives and our families. Uh, miracles, amazing miracles. All right. We're reading Psalms 113, 1 through 6 this morning, <clears throat> which is the beginning of the halal, which is what the Maccabees sang for eight days after they rededicated the temple, as they reclaimed the Lord's temple. Praise the Lord. Praise, O servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. From the rising of the sun to, the go to its going down, the Lord's name is to be praised. The Lord is high above all nations, his glory above all heavens. Who is like the Lord our God, who dwells on high, who humbles himself to behold the things that are in the heavens and the earth. Amen. Let's pray this morning. Lord, we bless you for your mighty hand and that you are 
not just by our choice, Lord. You are Lord of Lords, King of Kings, and Lord of all things, Lord. And I bless you for that, uh, that you continue to show us that and answer prayers and things you do in our lives. Uh, Lord, I just thank you for that, that you would be the, the God that is real, that is alive, and is, uh, has, a, has grace to us, extends grace to us for not only your salvation, but also, Lord, fine-tuning who we are so we can be more like you as we go through this life here. We do lift up these prayer requests this morning, Lord Jesus, um, for Lisa. I pray, God, that your peace for her and strength as she goes through this treatment and that, Lord, you will be glorified in uh, the healing that goes along with this and that she would be drawn to you uh, as she sees and the doctors even proclaim your hand of healing in this situation. I pray you be with her as she walks into this. And, Lord, we trust you for your perfect will there. And, Lord, we also uh, lift up Raul's grandson, Nelson. We pray, God, that you would uh, take what sounds like just a fun childhood thing and somehow glorify your name, Lord Jesus, that that rock would be removed, uh, Lord, by your hand today. And there would be no need to go see the doctors about this. Uh, pray you would uh, limit any of his pain in this process and that he would be uh, just fine for your glory. Also pray, God, that you would be with... Uh, uh, Amanda, as she searches for a job, Lord, that you would open the doors and close the ones that she should not go in. Lord, you would guide her with your mighty hand uh, to that perfect place that she can um, go and have a part-time job to help provide for the family and, uh, Lord, just have a way to also just uh, go, go be around others. Give her a place, a platform to, to give her testimony of what you've done in their lives. Um, Lord, we also lift up Alani. And, Lord, I pray that these uh, <clears throat> diseases would have no dominion there, that, Lord, you would heal her, and they would see it uh, quicker than the doctors would speak it, that it would draw attention to your name, Jesus, and your healing. Uh, so we pray for her strength and healing and mom and dad's uh, strength as well as they tend to her. And uh, we thank you for answering prayers for Ava and Brooke. Lord, we've cried out for weeks. Even before Ava got here, Lord, that your hand would be mighty and prevail. And we've seen so many answered prayers in that. So we thank you for that. I pray, God, you continue to work uh, in those lives, um, physically and spiritually. We trust them to you because you're almighty God. And I do pray, God, for this time of year as we, <clears throat> as we try to reflect on miracles, Lord, that we've seen you do moves of your hand that only you can do. And... Uh, Lord, I see even in the part of the halal that I read this morning talks about these other gods have eyes, they have ears, uh, they have hands, they have feet, but they can do nothing. But God, that is not you. You're the God, the living God, that is the God of all heaven, the God of uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. And we just thank you for that, Jesus, that you, God of all gods, would uh, come here and meet us this morning. We bless you. We thank you for uh, continued uh, things that you do around us in our lives. And I pray, God, you help us to see. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see, Father, uh, what you would call us to be a part of. We thank you for this day. We pray that our, our worship uh, is honoring you. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.
Just see. 
worship you, our King. Let's sing that again. defiled altar come and cleanse and come repair so every time I falter I can run to meet you there on this Hanukkah on this feast of dedication, I dedicate myself to you. And with every candle on the menorah that illuminates the night comes a prayer you'd kindle in me a shua, a desire for your fire, for your light. Oh, make of my mortal body a house worthy of your name. Rid me of what's ungodly and every hidden thing of shame on this Hanukkah on this feast of death 
dedication I dedicate myself to And with every candle on the manola that illuminates the night comes my prayer you'd kindle in me, Messiah, a desire for your fire, for your I supply of oil, not enough to burn long, I fear, but oh, how I pray, I may one day say, a great miracle happened here, on this Hanukkah, on this Dedication, I dedicate myself to you, my Yeshua. I dedicate myself to Good morning. Well, it was a wonderful morning of worship. I uh, 
join Kathy in these places of just thanking the Lord for already opening our hearts to his truths, and, and I look forward to the things he's going to share with us today. As I was listening to the songs and thinking about Hanukkah and the things God has been showing me over the last few days, and uh, I was thinking about what Paul said, and I believe it's in 1 Corinthians 10. Let me see if I can find that for you. I love to look at things. Just so we can see them for, yes, page 13, 18, 1 Corinthians 10. Yes, page 13, 18. <clears throat> Paul is talking about events of the Old Testament and how God has used these places in the physical to speak a spiritual understanding. But he starts in verse 6 and he says, Now these things became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. This place has come to my mind over and over again where Paul says these things... He's talking about not just the things he's talking about right before this passage, but he's talking about all of the Old Testament, everything that God used in the Old Testament to help us to understand that these things should be examples for us and understandings for us. And as I think about Hanukkah, I think we have to look at Hanukkah with that understanding. What is God wanting us to see in Hanukkah that would be of value to us today? We're, what are we celebrating Hanukkah for? Why do we come every year lighting candles and praising God for his miracles? What is it? And as I was thinking and starting this week, I heard the Lord say so clearly. He said, you know, many people come and question whether Hanukkah is actually a biblical um, holiday or not, or as feast, a biblical celebration, and whether or not Christians should be involved in that. And we will see today that Jesus celebrated Hanukkah. And so anytime somebody comes to me and says, why are, why are you celebrating Hanukkah? I go, well, actually, that's very easy. Jesus, my Messiah, celebrated Hanukkah. And he didn't come against Hanukkah, but he used it to even teach further. And so I want us to see today that the reason that we celebrate is because we follow in the footsteps of Jesus. But what is it that Jesus was actually a part of? What was he promoting? What was he using as a backdrop for what he would continue to say? So that's where I want us to start today. And to find that, I want us to go back to Daniel. It's on page 1030, the book of Daniel, page 1030. Daniel was written about 
450, 500 years before the um, revolt of the Maccabees against the Greek Assyrian, uh, the Greek Syrian group army, and so this was actually a prophecy about 500 years before it would actually happen. So the event that actually we refer to as Hanukkah, Daniel is prophesying about. So let's start in verse 3, chapter 8, verse 3. It says, Then I lifted my eyes and saw, and there, standing beside the river, was a ram, which had two horns, and the two horns were high. But one was higher than the other, and the higher one came up last. So Daniel, uh, you can see in verse 2 that it says he saw a vision. So God has given Daniel a vision, and he's saying he's lifting his eyes up, and there by the river he sees a ram. And what I want you to know is, as we've talked before, much of the Bible is symbolic and we have to understand what he's talking about. And he does help us to explain these things. So if you look over on verse 20, uh, just across the page there, it says, The ram which you saw, having the two horns, they are the kings of Media and Persia. So this is a, a Medo-Persian. The ram is Medo-Persian, and the two horns represent these nations. And the one that is higher, that came up last, is the Persian Empire. So you want to understand that this ram is this picture of understanding of these nations. Now let's continue on verse 4. I saw the ram pushing westward, northward, and southward, so that no animal could withstand him, nor was there any that could deliver from his hand, but he did according to his will and became great. So he is conquering, conquering, conquering nations to the uh, west, to the north, to the south. He is conquering nations, this king of Persia. And then it says, And as I was considering, suddenly a male goat came from the west across the surface of the whole earth without touching the ground, and the goat had a notable horn between his eyes. So the male goat is um, the Greek nation is now coming up from uh, the west, and it's spreading quickly and, and uh, mighty. And it says it has a notable horn between its eyes. That's Alexander the Great. And so he is uh, leading the, uh, the uh, conquering, and he is uh, conquering uh, very fast. And then verse 6, it says, Then he came to the ram that had two horns, which, he had seen, which I had seen standing beside the river, and the ram, and ran at him with furious power. And I saw him confronting the ram. He was moved with rage against him, attacked the ram, and broke his two horns. There was no power in the ram to withstand him, but he cast him down to the ground and trampled him, and there was no one that could deliver the ram from his hand. So Alexander the Great sees these two nations, uh, this Medo-Persian ram 
and these two nations that their horns represent. He runs towards them. The goat runs towards them and overtakes them and conquers everything that they had conquered. And there was no way that they could withstand the mighty force of this goat. That is Alexander the Great. All right, verse 8 says, Therefore the male goat grew very great. There it is, right there. He was Alexander the Great. But when he became strong, the large horn was broken, and in place of it, four notable ones came up towards the four winds of heaven. So when he was in the prime of his life, about 32, 33 years old, he died. And now these this uh, areas, these large areas that he's conquered are divided up into what it says four notable ones. Four generals would be over different sections that he had conquered. So they're now going to be four kingdoms. It's divided up into four kingdoms. Um, see, it says there, uh, Four notable ones came up towards the four winds of the heavens. Then it says, And out of one of them came a little horn, which grew exceedingly great towards the south, towards the east, and towards the glorious land. This glorious land is Israel. And this little horn is Antiochus Epiphanes. Antiochus Epiphanes. And... Um, Let's read on then. And it grew up to the host of the heavens and cast down some of the host and some of the stars to the ground and trampled them. I began to see he had exalted himself against the heavens. You see, it says, and he grew up to the host of the heavens. So Antiochus actually considered himself to be a god. And um, that's why he considered himself to be, he gave him the title Antiochus Epiphanes, which is a place of meaning that God has manifested. And so he was actually saying that he was here and manifested in a divine way. Now, most of the people underneath him considered him a madman. And he was very um, brutal, and he was a, a tyrant, and he was evil. Alexander the Great brought Hellenism to all of the areas that he conquers, uh, conquered. And that Hellenism is uh, Greek culture, Greek understandings. And so, you know, Alexander the Great brought sports and gymnastics and theater and arts and all of these cultural changes to the areas that he was conquering. But he wasn't brutal and mean once he had conquered the places. He pretty much let people be who they wanted to be. But he offered up all of these Greek understandings, which of many people had joined in with because they liked them. It was a lot of fun. Things were uh, good, and um, they joined in with these places. Now, I will say that his idea of theater and the arts and um, gymnastics and sports and all these things had a little twist to it because most of it had a sexual uh, 
connotation along with it that they were done in the nude. And so that was a big draw to the promotion of these areas. Okay, let's go on. So uh, in verse 10, it says, so, so now out of these, when Alexander the Great died, then this Antiochus has come in and has taken over this area going towards Israel. Okay? And it says in verse 10, he grew up to the host of heaven and it cast down some of the hosts and some of the stars to the ground and trampled them. What I believe, I, I've prayed about this and looked at this and searched over this and tried to understand what is going on. And I see that I believe what God was showing me is that there is a battle in the heavenlies going along at the same time and is reflected by the physical battle that Antiochus is bringing about against the children of Israel. So I think the physical is a reflection of the spiritual. So while Antiochus is here on this earth and is bringing his rage and his tyranny against the people, God's people, I believe in the heavenlies, there is as, we, as well a battle going on. And I believe that it says, and it cast down some of the host and some of the stars to the ground and trampled them. I believe that what was happening is, is that the, the battle that's going on in the spiritual realm is casting down forces that are enabling Antiochus to reflect demonic presence here on this earth. Does that make sense? You kind of with me? I think we can talk about this a little more and you'll see a little more clearly. Verse 11 says, he even exalted himself as high as the prince of the host, and by him the daily sacrifices were taken away and the place of the, his sanctuary was cast down. So he's exalted himself to, the, to be as high as the prince of the host. I believe this is a regional spirit that is behind Antiochus, that is influencing him we studied in these places when we talked about the spiritual realm I think you can see the spiritual realm influencing Antiochus against the things in the heavenly realms that were being honored in the, in the physical realm here such as the sacrifices he took away the sacrifices and the place of, of his sanctuary was cast down he tore down God's sanctuary his temple defiled it and then verse 12 says because of transgression an army was given over to the horn to oppose the daily sacrifices and to cast truth down to the ground he did all this and prospered then I heard a holy one speaking. This holy one, this is in the heavenly realms. Do you hear that? 
this is in the heavenly realms. So this is a, a, a spiritual being, an angel. And, and another one said to uh, the certain one that was speaking. So two angelic beings, two spiritual beings are talking in the heavenlies. And they say, how long will the vision be concerning the daily sacrifices and the transgressions of the desolation, the giving of both the sanctuary and the host to be trampled underfoot? So these two angels are saying, how long is this going to go on? Because what they see is Antiochus has come in and he has brought destruction to God's people and to his temple and to the place they came and brought their sacrifices. And the angels are saying, how long should this happen? How? They see the devastation. And then verse 14 says, And he said to me, For 2,300 days, then the sanctuary shall be cleansed. This was about six years. How long will this go on? And the one says to the other, it's going to be about six years. And then the sanctuary will be cleansed. Then it happened when I, Daniel, had seen the vision and was seeing the meaning that suddenly there stood before me one having the appearance of a man. And I heard a man's voice between the banks of the Eulai who called and said, Gabriel, make this man understand the vision. And then he goes through and begins to explain the vision. And I want us to take right here from this point and go to understanding what happened with Hanukkah. This is prophesying, uh, not Hanukkah, I'm sorry, with the Maccabees. And so uh, we want to see what was prophesied and how it unfolded. So as you remember, Alexander the Great died, as we just talked about, and Tychus takes over, and he brings all of these um, new laws and ways to God's people that they can no longer live in a life committed to the ways of the Torah. And he uh, took over the sanctuary, and he defiled the sanctuary with pig's blood, and he tore down the lampstands, and he put pig's blood on all the furniture, and everything was just defiled. And then he went from town to town, and he would take idols into the town. So Zeus, which he had erected also in the temple, he had erected this uh, statue, this idol of Zeus. But the interesting thing about it is on Zeus, he actually had them place his head. Antiochus had his head on the body of Zeus. And Zeus is the god of the sky and, and of the thunder and uh, of all things. He was the main, one of the main god. But Antiochus saw himself as equal to Zeus. And so he had his own head put on Zeus and erected in the temple. Then he had his soldiers to go out to all these small communities, and he would take these idols, Zeus and the one that had his head on it, and different idols, and he would bring them in, and then on these carts and around the city, and he would have everyone bow down and, and surrender to these idols. 
And if you didn't, then you would be killed. They also would find people that would not bow down and they would take pig and, and force it down their throat until they suffocated, knowing that would defile their bodies. As we've taught before, they would take young babies that mothers would be carrying in the, in the city squares and, and they would rip off their clothes and they would look to see if they had been circumcised following God's laws and the Torah. And if, in fact, they had been, they would kill the babies and hang the babies around the mother's necks and hold the mothers in the, in the square so that everyone could see what would happen to you if you went against Antiochus and his ways. It's interesting because these places of, of um, Hellenizing, when it started out, it seemed not so bad until Antiochus took what was going on and elevated that, that you could no longer worship Yahweh, but only the God of Zeus and Antiochus. And if you remember, Mattathias was a priest, an older priest, quite aged, uh, quite older, um, quite along in his age. And he was in the city, and the soldiers came and said, bow down. And he was with his five brothers, and uh, I'm sorry, five sons, and he said, no, I will not. I will not bow to Zeus. And the soldiers were about to kill him when a young man standing not far away saw what was going to happen. And, and he said, I'll bow in his place. And he goes running over and bows down and falls down in Mattathias' place so that he would not be killed, which seems almost right. Mattathias was so incensed that this young man would defame the very name of God and would bow to this idol, this pagan idol that he had just had all he could stand. He had seen this abomination going on for so long and he couldn't take it anymore and he reaches over and grabs the sword from one of the soldiers and he kills the man who had bowed down. And then he reaches up and he kills the soldiers. And his sons see that what's happening and they take a hold of the fight and together they overcame all the soldiers that were there. Mattathias turned to his sons and he said, you know, we're going to the mountains. There's gonna, they're coming after us. But we're going to the mountains and we're going to live as God has called us to live. Word spread around the town that anyone that wanted to join them could come and go with them and they would go to the town, to, I mean out of the town into the mountains and there they would live in the ways that God had set and established in the Torah instructions for life. And so they did. And sure enough, word spread to Antiochus that his soldiers had been killed. And so he sent out a small band of more soldiers to overtake the Maccabees and their families 
but they did not. The Maccabees conquered each group of soldiers that Antiochus sent out until all of Antiochus' soldiers and armies were defeated. And when they did, then they went back in to cleanse the temple, just as it said in Daniel. Six years later, after all of this had started, they go back in and cleanse the temple. I loved reading about some of these places in the Maccabees, and you can find um, copies of the Maccabees and read the many stories of dedication that the people had towards God. But when they went back to cleanse the temple, they, they started cleaning out all the things that had blood, pig's blood on them, and, and many of the rocks were, were defiled with this pig's blood, and they wouldn't even just wash off the rocks and put them back in the temple. They said they had been defiled too much. They would not honor God with these defiled rocks, and they went out and dug large holes and buried the rocks. But those rocks weren't allowed to be in the temple anymore. And they put in new rocks. And they set back up the the lampstands, and they tried, as you know, the story to go in and relight the lampstands, but there wasn't enough oil. There was only the oil for one night. But they went ahead and lit the lamps for the one night. And the story goes that God touched these lights in a miraculous way, and these lamps burned for eight days instead of just one day giving them time to purify the oil that the lampstands would remain burning as instructed through the Torah. Now many people say that the miracle of the oil did not really happen, that that is just legend. I don't really know. It is in the Talmud, so uh, it was recorded as such. But I would say I've seen God do so many miracles, this would be nothing for him. So I tend to believe that this did happen. But I want you to hear that that's not the only thing that's the miracle. But the miracle is, is that God took this remnant of people that had been faithful to him. Because what you need to know is that many of the children of Israel and many of God's people had turned away from him, had fallen away, and had joined up in these Hellenistic manners. It seemed like the right thing. They were going to be killed if they continued to honor God. So it was just easier to turn away from the truth. Only a remnant remained faithful. The greatest miracle in Hanukkah is that God, through his mighty power, used that remnant to overtake this mighty army. In the physical, that's the miracle that we want to remember about Hanukkah. But in the spiritual, we see the reflection of this place where God overcomes darkness in each of us 
for his glory. Turn with me to John chapter 10. It's on page 1236. Starting in verse 22, it says, Now it was the feast of dedication in Jerusalem, and it was winter. And Jesus walked in the temple in Solomon's porch. Then the Jews surrounded him and said to him, How long do you keep us in doubt? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. But you do not believe because you are not my sheep. As I've said to you, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. And I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. You see, Jesus took this opportunity, not at some other feast, not on just any day, but he took this opportunity to really mold together a couple of things that I think are very powerful. Using the understanding of Hanukkah, and the story of the Maccabees. So when it says right here, it was the feast of dedication, that word in the Hebrew, dedication, is Hanukkah. It's a time of dedication. It's a celebration that God's temple had been rededicated to his holiness. It's a time for us to come and to see the example set here in the physical, for us to understand in the spiritual, that our temples have been defiled. And Hanukkah is a time that we come to celebrate the many works that God has done in our lives to restore holiness to his great name. Really what they're saying in verse 24 when they come and they say, how long are you going to keep us in doubt? They're saying, come on, help us to know, are you really who you say you are? Are you really, really? And they are so doubting who he is. And he answered them. He says, I told you that you do not believe the works that I do in my Father's name. They bear witness of me. You see, Hanukkah is a time that we come and we light candles and we share 
the miraculous stories of Jesus doing miracles in our lives that we've seen because they bear witness of who he is. And what he is saying is they bear witness that he and the Father are one. And I love when he says up here in verse 27 or 26, he says, But you do not believe because you're not my sheep, as I said to you. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. This is such a powerful little verse with not many words. But he says, my sheep hear my voice. They know my truths, and I know them. Not only do you know him, but he knows you. And they follow me. In other words, there's, God is allowing, I'm, I'm sorry, Jesus is saying right here that if you truly are his sheep, you will hear the things he's saying to you through his spirit. And you will follow him, not the ways of the world. You see this understanding of being Hellenized, this Greek understanding, was not only the fact that Alexander the Great and Antiochus brought in all these new ways of gymnastics and sports and theater and uh, science and philosophy and all of these things. The thing about what made it Hellenized was that they wanted you not to just enjoy a sport, but they wanted you to learn to love these things of the world. That's what the Greek understanding is is that it takes you away from this place of loving God and following him to this place of loving the world and following after the world. That's what God is showing us today in this understanding that happens way back with the Maccabees. But we see it today in this very same place of where our world screams out, you should love the things of the world and all that it has for you. The story of the Maccabees is that God took the remnant, his sheep, that would follow him. And he overcame the darkness. He overcame the enemy. And then he says in 28, he says, And I will give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my hand. You see, Antiochus is a picture of the enemy. He's a foreshadow of the Antichrist. 
And he says, I don't promise you you won't be in some battles. The Maccabees were in a lot of battles. The enemy was after them. But the remnant that stayed honoring God and stayed faithful to who he is, God overcame the enemy and saved them. This physical picture is a spiritual understanding that Jesus is using Hanukkah to help us to see. He's saying, you stay faithful to me. You be my followers. You stay my sheep, and I will know who you are. When the enemy comes, Jesus is saying, I will overcome it. And I will give you eternal life. And he's saying, and I have the power and the authority to do it because I and my Father are one. That's why they got mad. That's why in the next few verses they picked up stones to kill him because he was declaring who he was and he says, listen, all every day, every day of these people's lives, of the Jewish people's lives, they would twice a day repeat the Shema. God is one. And Jesus is saying, I am there. I am one with the Father. Jesus goes on to say in verse 36, it says, If you do not do the works of my Father, do not, uh, I'm sorry, if I do not do the works of my Father, do not believe me. But if I do, though you do not believe me, believe the works. He's saying you've seen the mighty works, the, the miracles. That's what he's calling these miracles, is these works that God does to show us who he is. So we don't come and light candles in a place of saying, look who I am, that God did something mighty in my life for me. No, no, no. We come and light these candles in a place of praise, of lifting his name on high, that he, the great I am, has done these mighty works, and he's allowed us to see them. John says that he did these works. He did these miracles. He did them that we might believe that he is the Christ. And through believing, we might have eternal life. I want to leave you with a few last thoughts. Turn with me to Second Thessalonians. Well, hmm. Turn with me to Matthew, page 1141. It's Matthew 24. 
on page 1141, Matthew 24, verse 3. Jesus is talking to his disciples here. They're not at Hanukkah, but he is talking to them, and um, they've just departed the temple. And starting in verse 3, it says, Now, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us when these things will be, and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? And Jesus answers and says to them, Take heed that no one deceives you. So Jesus is sitting and he's, his disciples are saying, okay, you're telling us you're going to go away and that you're going to come back. Tell us when the end of time is coming. And I want you to listen to some of the things he says. I want to drop down to verse 15. He says, therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken by Daniel, the prophet, standing in the holy place. You see, what he is telling us is that Daniel is telling us the, the, what happened with the Maccabees. You're going to see unfold again at the end times. It's an example that changes our hearts today as we live as the remnant. But it's also an example that helps us to know what to look for in the future. So verse 15, and he says, um, then, I mean 16, he says, Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Hey, is that what it was talking about? Get out of where all this is going on. Go to the mountains. And let him who is on the housetop do not go down to take anything out of the house. And let him who is in the field not go back to get his clothes. But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days. And pray that your flight may be not in winter or on the Sabbaths. I guess Jesus is thinking we would still be keeping the Sabbaths when he returns if you're a part of his sheep and a part of the remnant. For then there will be great tribulation such as not seen, not, has not been seen since the beginning of the world until now. No, nor ever shall be. And unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. If anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, and there do not believe, for false Christs and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. So he's telling us that there is this place coming that's going to even be worse than what was going on with the Maccabees. But we can watch for this kind of desolation, and we can watch for these places where it comes against the very essence of God's truths and God's words. And he's saying, just because someone says to you, look, here is the Christ, you don't believe in it. I couldn't help but think about Christmas and Easter and how people say, no, we're making this all about Christ. Take Christmas back for Christ. 
It's not about Christ. But people are saying, look here, here's the Christ. It's in this. But it's not truth. I thought about the Hellenistic ways that the world draws us to fall in love with what the world has to offer. I also see that it says the, for false Christ in verse 24, and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive you, if possible, even the elect. You see, the Antichrist and the false prophets and the false Christ are all going to be not only influenced, but empowered by Satan himself to do signs and wonders, to deceive many. But the elect, the remnant, the sheep that are committed, that have dedicated their lives, well, it won't be possible. The last little bit I want to share with you is 2 Thessalonians on page 1360. Page 1360, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3. Paul is writing about end times and he says, let no one deceive you by any means for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Paul is saying that before Jesus comes back, before that day will come when Jesus comes back, he says there's going to be a falling away first. A falling away. You know what that speaks to me? A very scary place, but it's people, you can't fall away if you weren't in. This is people that claim to be in, that think they're in, that think they have a relationship with Jesus, that think they are saved, that think that he is uh, good with where they are in their lives. I believe those are the people that are right here capable of falling away in these latter days. And what will draw them away? It's the same thing that, that the Greek used to draw God's people away from his truth. It is false teachings that tickle the ears of believers. And then it says, and then the man of sin is going to be revealed. Satan himself is going to be revealed. The son of perdition, destruction, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God. 
or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. He will look like God. You see, I think many were deceived and drawn away with Alexander the Great because he brought such good things to the people. He was bringing them fun things they were excited to be a part of, and people joined up with it. But then the enemy, Antiochus, was revealed through it. It may look good, but if it is not of God, and if it is not of his ways, it is a false teaching. And it is influence. And hear me now, it is empowered by the enemy in the heavenly realms. That should make you shake. Verse 5 says, Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And now you know that there, that, I'm sorry, and now you know what is restraining <coughs> that he may be revealed in his own time for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way and when the lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord will resume uh, I'm sorry consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy the brightness of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders. The coming of the lawless one, the Antichrist, is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders. Lying truths Lying wonders are things that you might believe to be truth, but they are lying. They are lies. And they come with signs that are empowered by Satan himself. I think Hanukkah is a great time to come and celebrate so many things. But if there's ever a time that Christians should join up to celebrate that Jesus will come back and he will overcome the darkness it is in the festival of lights stand with me please
just eat.